It sat on our tables and altars for thousands of years. Used as one of the first offerings to the gods in a magical ritual throughout the world, this mineral has been currency, seasoning, and magical elements since the very beginning of human history. But why does something so common hold so much power? Why are there so many variations of it? And how can it be used to spice up our rituals and magical practices? In this episode, we examine the role and power of salt on Witchcraft Deconstructed. This is your resident wizard, Reverend Wade. And this is librarian and witch, Cassandra. And today we're going to talk about probably one of the most basic of seasonings, the most sort of critical, if you will, in our life. I mean, we, we need this to survive. All living things require it to a certain degree. It, it's used to sort of control the amount of fluid that we retain or that we lose, and that's salt. Salt is literally life for us, as far as a chemical is concerned, as far as the most basic of, of elements combining together. And its use in history, as well as in our magical practices, are all sort of intertwined. But what I want to do is I want to sort of pull back. We're going to leverage a lot of the questions that we get from the community. We're going to use that to kind of dig into the real root of it. But oftentimes we get a lot of questions like, what's red salt used for? Or how do I make black salt? Or any number of things. But rarely does anybody pose the existential question of, why salt to begin with? Why in God's green earth do we use salt in our rituals? I mean, it, and, and with the symbols that we are told that are associated with it, where does that even come from? So do you have it? You said, you've said that you have an answer for this. I have an answer too, but I want to know what your answer is. Well, I, I, you know, I certainly don't think it is the definitive answer, but... Um, it's an answer, it's, sure. Yes, but uh, in thinking about this particular podcast... And I was thinking, why salt? Um, I definitely, I think, am guilty of being one of those practitioners that um, has not questioned salt on the altar, right? Like, salt is one of the most basic elements, you know, we find in the craft everywhere. You know, it's salt. You use salt for cleansing, for purifying, um, as representative of earth. Um, there, there's so many uses for salt uh, in magic and ritual, and um, I really had to kind of do a deep dive through through my my understanding of salt for for. Could you replace it with paprika? <laughs> you know why and, not that? Well, right? I, I, you know, not paprika. I was thinking like you know it's it's symbolic of earth on the altar. Why don't we use earth? Why why isn't there a bowl dirt? of dirt on the altar? Like why? Salt or sand? Yeah, I get you. I, I have sand. I keep beach sand. I do collect beach sand from the variety of beaches I've been to. Well, and we we collect stones. We collect like there are all varieties of earth. I think that we as witches and practitioners and wizards, whatever whatever it is you're doing, we like dirt. <laughs> we like stones. We like you know like getting dirty. We do. We we <laughs> we go out in the woods and we collect things and you know we bring it home You're barefoot. And... <laughs> <laughs> I wandered around a cemetery this weekend. You know, it's what we do and I restrained myself from bringing back cemetery did, did, stones, did, you know. Did you bring back any cemetery dirt? I did not. So, I did not. <sighs> um I was in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery this weekend and I decided that uh, possibly bringing back some uh, some haunted uh, headless horseman dirt might not be in my best interest. Um. 
I highly disagree, but go on. Okay. Um, I was I was also with a, a non-witchy friend who may have looked at me somewhat askance. Not that that usually stops me, but uh, I was trying to be a little decorous. How does that work? You look at, you like a jar and a spoon. You're like, I'm taking samples. Excuse me for it's, a minute. It's for a test. Uh, it's, it's the right moon phase for some cemetery dirt. Um, I'm bringing this home with me. No, um, I, I did decide to, to restrain myself this weekend in, in terms of collecting dirt. But but I again, you know, that's that's our first response, right? We're, we're out and about doing whatever it is we witches do. And we start collecting things like dirt and rocks. Um, so why don't we use that on our altar? Why salt? Um, and I think that it's, I think that's a very complicated answer, but to, to really simplify it, um, A, as you, you already pointed out, salt is life, right? We, we mm -hmm. cannot survive without salt. Salt entwined, I guess is a better word, with humanity. We can't really separate ourselves away from it. And I think it also has to do with that that idea of the sort of the balance of salt and water, um, preservation, purification. Salt pulls out toxins, right, in the purification process or the pickling process, if we want to put it in terms of food. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it pulls that water out of, you know, organic material to preserve it. Um, so I think that when we talk about salt on the altar and as a purification tool, like we're really looking at it as a really basic chemical reaction almost, right? Right. Like salt, like when we talk about salt, it is a very, very mundane thing on top of being a very, very magical thing, which I think is pretty unusual when we talk about different uh, tools and symbols or elements of ritual like salt cannot be separated from its just sheer mundane chemical functions and salt is life at the end of the day salt is life and so we have salt on our altar to represent earth um, but also to um, sort of tie us into that very earthy part of our natures so that's my answer, my my slight simplification answer of why salt. So I I think when we're talking about salt, where we're dealing with at the core three words, and that's purification, consecration, and protection. And if we just look at sodium chloride as a chemical by itself, it's really difficult to discern where do we get those three things from. But you know, through history, what we find out ends up happening is that we start to associate our, these attributes with things. And those attributes are associated not just because of something direct, but oftentimes because of some history that's behind it. You know this. Uh, but w when we're talking about salt, what we found is, we'll, we'll take, for example, salt as being something that is highly valuable. Through history, uh, salt has been harvested and used in exchange for money. It's been used to pay people. Uh, it is uh, arguably where the name uh, or the word salary comes from. Uh, some people would kind of uh, counter that or, or whatnot, but it, it still had a high degree of value. And it was for a number of reasons, really, that people might be paid in salt. But salt could be used to drive away the evil spirits. So, for example, when you have food, when you have meat, 
the meat will go bad soon. And it was believed that the spirits would come in and potentially spoil the meat, make the meat go bad. So they would figure it out how to pack it in salt as a, as a means of preserving meat, as a means of curing meat. And really what was happening is we realized uh, a good period after the fact was that it was just a very bad place for for bacteria to try to get onto the meat and start eating away at it. When you packed it in salt, bacteria didn't like it. So the meat could continue to age and you could preserve it through salt and you could take the salt crust off and then you could eat it far later. The preservation of food over time is a huge leap for us from a human perspective. You know, often, you know, as, as we go through history, we had to go from just picking shit off of trees and foraging to actually creating, you know, the, the prepping the land in order to purposefully plant and harvest. But when it came to animals, you could kill one animal. That could be pretty huge for a family where there was no way to store it. So meat assault as a means of preserving was a huge step. And we even see that today. We see it like in beef jerky and, and a number of ways that we prepare food. But also this idea that, that bad spirits were trying to consume or strip away uh, uh, the flavor of meat or the flavor of foods in general. So the idea of putting salt onto food as a means of protecting the flavor and, and actually instilling life back into something. And in fact, when you put salt into it, it brings out the, the the sugar and the flavor and and a, a number of things that it it uh, it it basically activates the tongue and your ability to receive flavor and it actually tones down our bitter receptacles too you can put salt in your coffee and it can take down the bitterness of coffee and make it just fantastic so again when we talk about you know salt as as something that has attributes and ritual qualities it really it comes from a very rich history of us using salt um, and and those qualities are sort of leached into our interpretation of that symbol I think that when we when we talk about you know why do we use salt in the north I think for us it's it's that it's one of those things that we can consume it's extraordinarily versatile and we do find it on land and it is something that is where where we see the oceans come and meet the land, and then we find that from the pools of water that collected from the ocean, that the salt, you know, it basically the ocean water dried and what was left was salt. It is, is you, can, you can kind of assume, you can take that step that, well, maybe the land that we live on is salt, you know, is from the ocean. It is the ocean hardened, if you will. To a certain degree, not everything, obviously, but you kind of get that feeling that, that the two are, are, are part of each other and yet separated. And thus, you can use salt as a, a symbol for Earth. And it is also one of the reasons why when you have your salt that represents Earth and you have your water that represents, represents uh, the oceans, you can combine the two. And it is through that you can kind of use your, your, your asperging methods to... Uh, consecrate and bless things within your circle by sprinkling it around. And in fact, that's actually used in a number of faiths. So I thought it was really fascinating when I was just researching salt, you know, just salt in general, like not the magical properties, not the, the mm -hmm. you know, mythology, um, just salt, which I had never really read into before. 
you know, one of the things that salt helps do is in generating like nerve impulses um, and maintaining our electrolytes and mm-hmm. all of that fluid balance. And you it, know, bodies are, it, it balances our ability to cool ourselves. Right. And it really is sort of that like almost energy sparking, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's that the those little little bounces that let us let us work, let our, our hearts beat. And for me in ritual, I know ritual has started when we mix salt and water. Mm-hmm. And seeing that just sort of in a biological chemical sense laid out, you know, it, in terms of what our bodies are doing, it suddenly made so much more sense to me about what's happening when we're mixing salt and water. Because for me, the salt and water is sort of the kick to the battery of the energy we are using in ritual. It is, it's one of the starters of the energy that I as priestess am able to use in creating a circle or anything else we are doing in circle. You know, there's, there's always that question of like, where does the energy come from? Like, how are we generating that energy and there's a lot of there are a lot of different answers to that, right? But for me, in circle, that salt and water moment is like that first spark for me. <laughs> that's a, that's that kicking symbol for you that yes. that circle is really solidified. That's that's where I I feel it. I feel it in my gut, right? Like that's the moment where like I feel like I'm in ritual. So I I consider it to be very much like uh, whenever we welcome somebody into circle, we anoint them. So we use an oil that's usually laced with some sort of uh, resin or something to give it a a smell, right? Something you can carry through with you. But when we get to the salt and the water and the combining of the two, uh, basically the two sisters in your circle, right, that are kind of coming together to bless the circle. And, And what we would do is we would go through and we'd use our fingers to kind of dip and sprinkle, dip and sprinkles. We'd go around the circle, we'd dip and sprinkle on everything that's on the altar. And then I, we would we would dip, and I'll put my hand on the person's head, and then maybe my thumb on their forehead so a little bit of a drip of the salt water will come down their face. Just just that kind of like a, like a single drop of life that's just kind of put onto them, and they can just kind of feel it rolling. And, and granted, given the weather and the heat in the south, uh, it's usually mixed. <laughs> it's easy to mistake that for sweat, too. Either way, salt, right? Uh, so yeah, no, I agree. It's it's one of those symbols that when we get to that place in circle, we start doing that. Uh, you're right on the edge of getting to work within your circle. You're you're done. You're nearly done setting up your circle. So it's interesting because there are a lot of different types of salts, and the symbolism that's associated with salt can change slightly depending on the type of salt that we're talking about. And, you know, five years ago, if you just asked me, hey, what kind of salt do you use in ritual? I would have just been, hey, table salt's fine. And you know what? Table salt is still fine. But there are a number of different types of salts that I think are really interesting in in where they come from or how it's made and the symbolism that kind of carries along with that. So let, let's, let's talk about the, the differences in the salt that we use before we kind of break into some of these questions. Um, I so, will I will confess that I, I don't know much about the different types of salt other than, you know, rock salt versus kosher salt versus um, like ionized table salt. Um, and what I, I know about them is generally speaking more in terms of cooking. Um, I've always used uh, sea salt, rock salt in ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But for me, uh, I, I will confess to being somewhat remiss in uh, examining salt. I think uh, on, on this topic, you, you know a great deal more than I do. Uh, as to... well, that's cool. You got the brooms episode on me. <laughs> brooms was like not my thing until we talked about it. Uh, okay, so then this, I think, I think you'll find some of these alternatives. So, it, it, to begin with, a lot of the questions that come up, uh, let's let's talk about black salt to begin with. So, what's black salt? Where do you get black salt? And how do you use black salt? It was a couple of years ago somebody posed this question. I was like, what the heck is black salt? Uh, and in fact, black salt is actually really easy to make, and it is it is activated charcoal that's mixed with salt. And you do this in the liquid form so that it, it kind of fully sort of steeps, if you will, and integrates into it. And then you let that dry into the salt crystals. And then you have you have this very dark salt with this activated charcoal that's mixed in. And you can get this kind of salt from a number of places. You can get it from Hawaii, where they make, act, they make black salt and they create activated charcoal through the burning of coconut shells. They'll burn the coconut shells to a really, really dark black charcoal and then they'll crush that up and they'll mix it in with a sea salt mix there and then they'll dry that and they'll crystallize and then they'll 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 dry they'll break that up and then you've got your you've got your black salt um you've got a kalanamak 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 oh bless i'm so bad at this kalanamak <laughs> which is a south asian version of black salt, but it's, it's a Himalayan black salt. So it's a Himalayan salt that's kiln-fired, and they use this sort of reductive chemical process that produces hydrogen sulfide and sodium sulfides. I mean, some of that stuff's already naturally there, but this kind of seems to like reduce it down and transform it a little bit. And that lends to its color, it's aged, and it's, it's not completely black. It's more like a really sort of dark purple. And if you grind it, it actually comes out a little bit more pink, but it has this sort of rotten egg smell to it. Kind of a kind of a brimstony smell to it, and then there's the ritual version of black salt, which is you can take the ash from the incense that you've burned, uh, or the the smudge sticks that you've used. You can incorporate black pepper into it, uh, and you can mix that all together in in regular table salt if you want to. Now, that's just kind of a mixture. That's not really like ingrained into the actual salt itself. But you could add water to that, then mix it all together, and then let that dry, and then that would be a little bit more integrated, a little bit more, if you will, seasoned into the salt itself. Uh, and I kind of like that, because if you take, let's say, uh, I like to use resin incense, right, onto my incense charcoals. And if you take that, and you put the salt underneath it as a means of a buffer between whatever thing that you're holding it in, because it can get really hot. Then at the end of that ritual, you can just pour your salt, your charcoal briquette, which should be fully burned, and your resin, which should also be burned. And you can put that in a bowl, and you can just mosh it up. You're going to mosh it you up? To. You mosh it up. And the, the neat part about that is that if you do that, and you collect that, over a period of rituals, what you've got is you've basically got salt that has been a part of your rituals. It, it kind of takes on a second life, if you will. Um, what is the word when, um, when something has um, value beyond the value itself? It has uh, appreciated? Uh, nostalgic. Nostalgic. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that's right, nostalgic. Anyhow, it, it has a nostalgic value that's sort of baked into it. You do that for long enough, and you can say, you know, this salt has been a part of my rituals for the past so many years, so many months. But the gist is, is that you're collecting the experience of your rituals into an element that you can then use later for more value. I wouldn't eat it necessarily. I wouldn't put it in food. I might sprinkle it in with my water to do the blessings for sure. I wouldn't consume it though, but still you could do that. And if again, you added water and then you you know mixed it together into a little slurry and let it dry and crystallize, uh, then you could have your own sort of customized salt with that sort of historic value baked into it. That's very personal. And for me, anything that has a deep personal value just has more power in circle. I would agree with that. I personally don't use black salt. Um, I have always heard of it in context of like house blessings and home protections. Mm -hmm. And um, when I've heard people talk about black salt, um, it is often like put across thresholds and in corners of of the house to you know keep bad things out but what other uses of black salt are there well i think you're right in the fact that it, it's definitely used for the home because when we're talking about black salt we're talking about you know the activated charcoal particularly if we're getting it from like hawaii it, it, it does have that sort of highly protective value. It's already been put through the fires, if you will. So it's steadfast against the, the activities that somebody might put forth against you, uh, be it malicious, but anything that's inspired in a negative way coming right out of the south, coming right out of the fire, right, coming at you. It's already been proofed against that. So I could definitely see that as being something that is a grounding protection kind of situation. That's at least the feeling that I might get in using it, that it wouldn't just be for protection. It would be also for establishing a place that is of the earth, that is blessed of the earth, and that can kind of stand the test of time and potentially stand the test of elements, such as protecting against fire. Now, what I literally say, don't worry, your house is fireproof if you put this in the corners of your house. Absolutely not. But if if you're in a mental place where this sort of thing concerns you, this acts as an excellent means, an excellent symbol to help bridge that comfort. That you can say, I did this, therefore I'm not going to be unreasonably fearful about this other thing. And I think this is a great symbol for that. So what other sorts of salt are we looking at? Have you heard of red salt? I've heard of it. I know nothing about it. Absolutely nothing about it. Um, red salt is another one of those things. This is strange. You can get red salt, generally speaking, from two places. From Hawaii, again, or California. It's interesting that Hawaii keeps coming up with these. So the Hawaiian one's really neat, right? That they, they harvest and make red salt and and uh it's called alea, and that's the, the type that's basically the name of the salt. But the but the just here's the they're about a hundred feet from the ocean and they create this maybe four or five foot deep divot in the earth, and it allows the salt water to come through the ground and fill in this almost pot-like cavity from the ground and it's from there that they then pull the water and and they prepare it in these these red clay flats 
for holding the water and allowing it to dry. And the thing about that is that the red clay in Hawaii is red because it is heavy in iron. It's heavy in iron oxide. So if you know anything about iron oxide, you know that's what's in our blood to carry oxygen to our cells. It's, it's, it's representative of the life flowing through us. But we're also talking about the, the Hawaiian Islands. The Hawaiian Islands are like active centers of, of volcanoes. It's considered that this is where the land is truly alive. The ground is really alive. And it is the, the, the clay of that ground, of that sort of fertile volcanic ground that is used and actually finds its way into the salt. So when you're eating red salt or you're using red salt, uh, you really have this sort of iron-rich clay that is a, a part of, of the ingredients of that salt that you're using. And when we're talking about like the kind of symbols that go along with that, Again, you have that earth thing, but you have a very active earth thing. You've got the color red, which is a very active color. It activates ourselves. It makes us more motivated. It's meant to drive our will. It's meant to call us to action. And you have the, the volcanic area, which, you know, the, these islands are alive. The earth is alive. So this is like the blood of that land, and it's integrated into this. So the fact that it's iron, we all know iron is very strong, but the idea of using red salt to protect your circle is really calling up from the earth, the blood of the earth, to actively protect your circle. It's like having a volcano standing watch over your ritual space. I don't know that I'd want a volcano overwatching. Could be a little temperate, could be a little temperamental. Yeah. Is that the problem? A little temperamental. I mean, I like the idea of sort of an, an iron-infused salt, right? Because mm -hmm. iron is also, it's another one of those very protective elements. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of folklore around iron, um, you know, carry an iron nail, put it, you know, iron above your door, keep iron under the bed like it keeps things away. Um, there's a lot of European folklore around, um, you know, the fey and iron and keeping you know sort of the the supernatural out with iron i personally it's have. funny you sh you should mention that that was one of the sort of symbol combinations was was actually to to use this as a means of keeping the fey keeping uh bad spirits keeping a number of things at bay from you so i didn't actually make the iron connection there it's neat that there's a a cross-culture point there i will say it it does make me hesitate a little bit in terms of like using it for my ritual space because when I'm doing ritual to a certain extent, I'm also inviting things in, right? Mm -hmm. And to have salt and iron together <laughs> seems to be a little bit of um not a it's very a overkill. Yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> bit of an overkill. It's it's not quite a nice invitation. And like sure, there there's plenty of, of stuff that you don't want in circle and that's part of circle. Um but at the same time, like salt and iron seems like a very, very potent combination. I mean, I, I absolutely understand why red salt is therefore a, a thing to use. But at the same time, like I think I would not use that so much in a ritual context unless, of course, the ritual was very specifically about protection, right? I think an interesting thing here, when we talk about from a protecting, protecting perspective, is that clay is also used to make bricks. I mean, you've got your you've got your iron element as well, and red bricks have a high level of iron in them. Is what's the reason why they are red. 
one of two things first off, that clay can be compacted and dried and used as bricks, which means you can use them to make a house. Again, we're calling back to your home, your hearth, right? But also the fact that if you've ever walked through clay-dense water or swamp, it is so hard to traverse. It is, it, you just get mired in it. You know, if you've, have you, if you've ever been to like an area that, that was just, you know, a heavy, I used to live in Florida and there are certain parts of Florida where the ground is just very, this, this deep gray clay. But if you've ever tried trompsing through it, it just sticks to you and wants to suck you in and just wants you to stay put. And to use that as a means of protection, I particularly like the symbol either of the clay being used as a brick wall as a means of, I'm going to actively keep you out. Well, and this is where I think I get some of my hesitation as well, because I, you know, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying, mm -hmm. but I think it's... I feel like I'm trying to sell you red salt. Yeah, I think, I think you are. Because <laughs> I love it. You're like, hmm, maybe not so much. <laughs> because I think also in, in clay, it's very, very hard to encourage things to grow in clay, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, so while I think... I, I mean, I think red red salt sounds like it would be a very fun thing to play with in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. I think I would also caution people in really thinking about what they were doing and the the purpose of using it and how strong you you know what you're doing is. And if you you know if you're not doing a, a you know a ritual where you're like you know here's my wall and keep out and blah 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 you know it it might not quite be the the element to use. Uh, <laughs> uh you know i get that and uh, along with i'll concede to the fact that because this has a very sort of fiery uh southy element to it that it can be unpredictable anytime you're tapping into your emotions to find drive it can send you in an unpredictable direction it can quite literally blow up on you or it can be a slow burn and that's the nice thing about iron oxide is it's it's a slow burn but at the same time though it's still it's still adding fire to a fire idea. And uh, unless you really have your full mind wrapped around that and your intentions are very specific, you know, salt, that red salt may not be the best way to go for all of your rituals. Like it wouldn't be my go-to protection. And I most, I don't think, I, I think I would use it to bless the, the things, the items in my circle or, or the tools that I would be using if they were tools that I would be using in a very active sort of way. Much like when we had the wand episode, and we were talking about was it Paduk as a wood is very red. It's it's also very energetic. It's very lively. It's somewhat unpredictable. It can pull from you that sort of emotional response, and sometimes that can be difficult to control, difficult to direct, uh, and sometimes it can just go to kind of a bad place that you didn't intend to. So eh, you know, some caution. I feel like we're gonna have to have like a tasting party, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. I think that sometimes, like, I think that's something that we do, again, you know, it's our, our need to go out into the woods and, and bring stuff home with us, right? Like, these things are, like, beyond, you know, sort of being the, the sort of wise, well-thought ritual practitioners that we are. We also sometimes like to, like, play with these things and, like, yeah. see what's going to happen and see how it's going to blow up and... um, um <laughs> your, your circle should be that safe space to experiment. Right. It's it's not meant to just protect you. It's meant to contain. Right. I, I think in this case, maybe containment is a is, is one way, thing. the better thing. But, um, you know, so I think 
you know, for my, myself, and this, this might be not necessarily a great thing for myself as a practitioner. I generally stay if I'm, especially if I'm working with other people, not necessarily by myself, but if I'm, you know, in a, in a group scenario, I'm going to say, you know, stay with the, the basics, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to use regular salt. I'm not going to use black salt. I'm not going to use red salt. Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely see the, the potential fun on top of <laughs> the extra bang pop pow that something like this might, might bring to ritual. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. And, um, it's interesting that, that, yeah, I mean, you really should get to know the basics first, right? You need to understand why you're using what you're using, get used to using it before you start seasoning your seasons. What is really interesting, though, is that when you're consuming that salt, you're really kind of taking in a little bit of that place. I really find it neat that, you know, if you're, you're eating red salt, you're kind of taking in the land of Hawaii, or you're taking in the microorganisms of California. Which, <laughs> and we hadn't talked about California yet. Their uh, red salt is a little bit different. I was going to ask you because you had brought California up and then we, we focused on Hawaii. So what, what is the difference then with California red salt versus Hawaii, Hawaiian so red salt? So about six years ago, I flew into San Francisco and I was looking down and I saw these, I don't want to say ponds because it didn't look like ponds. It looked like this abstract mosaic, you know, those lead and glass, you know, we do pictures with the lead and the glass in between and you know, different colorations of like, like stained glass windows. Bam. <laughs> <sighs> Shit. <laughs> so I'm looking across today. the ground, there's like this abstract mosaic of a stained glass window that is the land. There is no rhyme or reason to the shapes. These ponds, if you will are all a variety of colors. There's greens and yellows and pinks and oranges and reds. And it's not like they're a rainbow of one pond. Like every pond seems to have different colors and it spreads across hundreds of ponds. And I had no idea what that was uh, until I researched red salt. And it turns out that if you're gonna, if you buy cheap red salt, inexpensive red salt, there's a good chance you're probably getting it from California. And the reason why there is because the red salt they create uses microorganisms and microalgae. And that's what produces its color. Now, they're not doing it just for color. I think there's, there's some added health benefit there that they're creating the different types. And thus, it uses different allergies and different microorganisms that you can then, I suppose, use and instill in your foods and whatnot. Uh, and I don't know as much about the why for the California salt. But it is interesting, though, if, that if, if you want to use the red salt that is, well, has the clay, has the iron, then I would highly recommend you make sure that you're getting it from Hawaii. If you don't, there's a really good chance, particularly if it's inexpensive, that you're getting it from California. And that's going to have a whole other symbolic point to it. Like, I guess the best way to put it is like it's it's th the difference between getting a signature that looks like someone's signature versus getting someone's actual autograph. Um, you, when you talk about this and you talk about the ponds, you know, my first thought is the La Brea tar pits. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, how much um, obviously San Francisco and L.A. are very, very far away from each other uh, in that sense. But still, I, I like think about tar and I think about that like sucking down uh energy mm -hmm. 
of that area of the world. So that's interesting. I'm going to send you a link. Check this out. And that link that I sent you was uh, to Google's sort of pictures, if you will, of, of California red salt ponds. That's pretty cool. But it's it's a variety, right? Like there's there's huge, there's just these deep hues of like pink and yellow and and orange and anything in between. I think it's just beautiful, <laughs> personally. I think it's super neat. And I have not really, again, I don't have the exposure to this or the reasoning for this, but uh, I still find it pretty fascinating. So do you want to know my vague knowledge of red salt comes from? Yes. And you're going to laugh at me because it's... No, I won't laugh. Did you ever see the horror movie The Skeleton Key? (sighs) No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was a lot of a build-up. Uh, I was thinking something else. I was thinking a different skeleton movie. Anyhow. But it I believe it takes place in, in Louisiana, down in the swamps, and she uses someone tells her, you know, to use red salt. I believe it's red salt across the thresholds to keep things out. And it's actually a pretty like terrifying movie. It's it's one of the, the like sort of scary movies that does freak me out a lot. There's there's like body switching and taking control of other people but the the my associations with red salt i think come from that movie no wonder you've got such a a bad feeling about it (laughs) that's very possible i think i think that this is that example of the cross between general symbolism versus versus the the socially inlaid symbolism the pop culture uh symbolism that that settles in our heads and it doesn't it's powerful it i I think that honestly when when we talk and i think that's a really good example when we talk about what works for us it really is a lot of self-experimentation that's a lot of figuring out what is the end of one which is us right that experimenting on ourselves and i can tell you that this is the symbolism for a particular thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you've got some experience that's incredibly powerful, fear, deep, deep love, lustful even, and hate and rage and anger, if you have anything that's associated with that, that potentially latches onto a symbol, it's going to carry that with it. And it's going to change that symbol ever so slightly for you. Sometimes not slightly, sometimes dramatically. I don't know if that's the case with this, though, for you. I'm just saying that there is a blend. There is a bit where I can say this symbol is supposed to be taken this way, and then you're going to apply your personal experiences to it, and then, boop, you're going to come out with something. It's very true. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I would, at this point, play around with salts in that sense. But, you know, I think if, if you feel drawn to it or called to it or, like, it works for you, then, you know, sure, why not? Like If it's your thing, yeah. That's their thing, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Which is, I, I think, our difference here. This is a little hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah, you might be trying to sell me salt right now. <laughs> uh, hey, let me tell you. Salt, salt is a high level of value. Hey, you can get salt anywhere now. That's unfortunate. I guess it wasn't always the case, right? It used to have a, a high level of value, which uh, is the reason why spilling salt is bad luck, bad fortune. What have you, what have you heard about the spilling of salt? The salt, because of its value, and actually while I was thinking about talking about this, I kept thinking about the sort of like being being sent to the salt mines 
right? <laughs> like that's that's not a good thing to be sent to the salt mines. Like that's generally a death sentence, right? If you're you're being sent to the salt mines as a, a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you find that context across a lot of cultures, right? But so salt, you know, I think was very much it was it was a sort of a symbol of breaking bread, right? Like it was friendship, it was trust, it was I am sharing the wealth of my household with you. You know, it was a generosity. It was hospitality. So to spill salt um, was was a bad omen in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the famous example um, of this that I've always heard is at the Last Supper when Judas oh, yeah. spills the salt, right? There's a lot of salt in Christianity, which I also think is really interesting in terms of salt and witchcraft mm-hmm. but yeah so that that spilling of salt in that sense on accident and i think i think that's the the differentiation here you have to make is that if you're doing it accidentally without intention it is bad luck and it is an mm-hmm. ill omen and so then you have to do it intentionally you know throwing if you spill salt you have to throw it over your shoulder right to sort of negate that Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, in the broomstick episode, we talked about cleansing your home by throwing salt through the house and then sweeping it out. But again, it's being done intentionally. It's like you, you're understanding what you're doing with the wealth that you have to use versus accidentally doing it in a careless manner. Mm-hmm. So I think salt is is very interesting symbolically in that sense, right? Um, I mean, salt have has started wars right Mm -hmm. um it was i believe the french revolution was technically kind of started by salt because there was a salt tax that people finally said this is too much we can't do this and that's when they finally rebelled against you know the monarchy they they said we've had enough this salt's too important you can't tax this like that they were feeling salty about taxation i hear you (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's where you're going with this right uh you said it i didn't you know, in America, you have the, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which had the first patent for salt in the colonies. What was it? The, was it the Erie Canal that was not built specifically for salt, but like really helped in the transportation of salt? All right. So let me let me open up with uh, some questions then. So uh, Monica M. asks, with all these ingredients for rituals, how did ancestors do this before international and domestic trade routes? No one has any real link to ancient pagan knowledge because it was all destroyed. So all of these rules these days seem made up. Um, but salt was, I would say, one of the first international currencies. Um, you find salt everywhere. Um, I think, yeah. again, back to that idea of why salt, one of the really basic answers is because you literally find salt everywhere. It's not mm-hmm. like there's a land somewhere that doesn't have salt um, salt is a international thing. Every country has salt. You know, we have salt, I, I believe, dates back to something like 6000 BCE, where there's evidence of, you know, very prehistoric people making salt. So, I mean, I don't know that there, there are, you know, rules or whatever, but I think when we're looking at salt and asking the deeper question of why salt, it is because salt and humanity is so linked in so many ways, not just biologically, but geographically. And again, as as trade, 
you know, this, the, it's in the Middle East, it's in Asia, it's in Europe, it's in the Americas, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's dramatically different depending on where you are uh, because of how different nations have used it to, and to flavor their foods. You go to Japan and, and they produce salt by pulling seaweed out of, out of the ocean. And then they let the seaweed dry and the salt clings to that. And then they shake the salt off the seaweed and you have this sort of uh, very seaweed-rich flavored salt. And, and there's just a variety of different salts with different levels of intensity. Japan's a perfect example. There was a, a show... Uh, that you had introduced me to that that covered salt as one of the four, you know, big time sort of flavor ingredients for food that you just needed to kind of get to know. But it's it's done in different places as well. I believe the uh, salt was a very important part of the ancient Egyptian mummification process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we're talking about preservation, we're not just talking about food preservation. I think salt has been linked to the spiritual side of things for a very, very long time. You know, that, that was the, the, you know, saving the body, preserving the body so that they could, you know, have a good afterlife. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that goes back thousands and thousands of years. Um, so I think we have this really integral connection to salt on so many levels all over the world. You know, this isn't just a pagan thing. This isn't, you know, it's not just one religion or one culture or one, you know, society, whatever. It is literally, we all have this connection to salt. And salt doesn't, it doesn't, for one, you're going to find salt wherever you're near the sea. And there's tons of land masses that have uh, the edge of the sea. But salt is in places where you wouldn't find the sea. For example, the Himalayas, right? I mean, you go to Turkey and that's where you get your Himalayan sea salt. And it's not like there's sea there, per se, at least where they find it. But you're talking about a lad, large mass of salt water that ended up finding its way into the earth in mass. And then eventually, over time, the water leaves that and leaves these gargantuous salt deposits that people then go in and mine. And, you know, mining for salt, going to the salt mines. But that's where your pink salt comes from, your Himalayan sea salt comes from. And it's the same kind of salt that then takes in a number of minerals and becomes infused with it, right? And in fact, your Himalayan sea salt, your, your actual Himalayan sea salt is, is salt from ocean water that it's found its way into the rock from the Cambrian period. So it's really old. It's had a lot of time to absorb a lot of minerals into it, which is the reason why a lot of people claim that it has some health benefits by providing something of like the 95 or 98 uh, different uh, trace minerals that we need as humans in order to stay healthy. Now, that said, some people would contest that fact, but there's no contesting the fact that there are a lot of variety of trace minerals and, and, and materials within Himalayan sea salt. Now, that said, Himalayan sea salt, generally when we're talking about the attributes of that within a ritual space, it, it, the, the most I have found there is that it goes to protecting relationships and protecting love uh, and protecting you against people who would gossip about your relationships, as well as uh, those that would try to undermine your relationships, oh, those home wreckers. So if you have some particular ritual work that you want to do that's in that regard, pink sea salt would be good for that. Now, when we talk about the why in regards to black salt, 
it's pretty straightforward. As far as red salt's concerned, that's pretty straightforward. But pink salt is kind of like a combination of both black salt and red salt, and it comes out pink. So about the only thing that I can really nail down there is just the light red color that is to it. And if anybody comes up with anything more as far as pink salt is concerned or Himalayan sea salt is concerned and why that relates to uh, protection of relationships, love to hear it. Uh, my only thinking here is that maybe it's just related to the color. It kind of reminds me of um, like rose quartz, which yep. does a lot of the, the same things. I wonder how much of of this is exactly that and the, the association of pink crystals with this sort of rose quartz attributes. I don't know. I mean, you could use you could use that salt as your, your standard salt and circle, I think. Like, I think you could replace that with your regular white salt if you really, really wanted to, as far as consecrating and blessing and whatnot, with, uh, with the idea in mind that as you're asperging the, the water around the circle or blessing people or just sprinkling the salt around the circle, however you use it, uh, that you would just keep in mind that you are trying to use the protection of love within the circle. And often there's that phrase in perfect love and perfect trust, which we may get into at some point, uh, the, the use of that terminology in circle. But generally some people have contention with it because perfect is such a high standard. But if you're really talking about people coming into circle and you want to just, uh, on on as a standard in circle, to say, I want people to come into the circle, I want them to feel the love, then I might use pink sea salt as a means of blessing the circle to fortify feeling the love. I, I kind of want to break into, can you feel the love tonight right now? But I will uh, will save your ears from, from that. Uh... If we ever do circle and we use pink sea salt, I expect you to say that as you're blessing the circle around the edge. I will I will break out into, can you feel the love tonight? And you'll all just have to deal with the consequences of my terrible singing voice. Another person asked, what is the significance of spilling sea salt? And if it's a bad omen, how do I counter it? You had already mentioned that. Uh, one of the stories that I'd heard was that, that if you spilt salt, you, you basically, it was like throwing money away, that you were tricked into throwing money away, tricked into throwing to the ground something highly valuable. And that the only thing that would really trick you into doing that would be the devil. <laughs> say, say that again. The devil. The devil. Is that how we're... The, we're, the, we're... the devil. That's how I, that's what I call my eggs. Devil eggs. Um, <laughs> the devil. An evil spirit of some sort. But that to do so required that spirit to be working behind you in some way or just like up close to you to kind of trick you into spilling salt. And that thus to then take salt and toss it over your shoulder would be th to throw salt into the eyes of the devil. You know, not today, Satan. Woo! Right? A well, little salt over the shoulder. And I think that's so funny because, you know, every everyone, you know, they like to use the phrase, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, or Right, or whatever. just not too close. Um, but, you know... <laughs> Ultimately, that story in the Bible is Christ saying to the devil, be on my side. You know, he's not saying, get gone, you know, which is how it gets taken sometimes. He's, he's literally saying, get thee behind me, like support me in my work. So I find... I never heard it put that way, but that's I mean, almost mind-blowing for a moment. That's yeah, great. right. So, um, you know, because like culturally, again, we, we have this, this conscious, consciousness, this, this idea of, of get thee behind me satan um and that's not really what's happening there well and it's interesting because we associate 
something behind us as being in the past. And uh, from a, an American perspective, right, right. we're very time-oriented. We, we put a lot of emphasis on how we reference time, whereas in other cultures, that's just less so. Yeah, and I think in this case, you know, it's, it's the support me, you know, um, help me. Um, um, back me. Back me, exactly. Um, Interesting. But then, you know, in, in the Christian traditions, in terms of, like, witch hunting, someone who doesn't like salt is obviously a witch. Um, so if someone complains about food being too salty, that's a witch. Which, uh, you know, I was reading about that earlier and it kind of cracked me up because growing up, my mother never used salt in her cooking. And I was like, that explains so much. But yeah, it was, you know, in, in sort of in the Christian traditions, then, you know, salt was a very like a way to, to drive out evil and to drive out demonic energy and to drive out witches and um, to, to purify and to purge. And someone who couldn't intake salt was was clearly a witch. Mm hmm. There's a lot of that, you know, using salt to, to drive things out. Well, and when we talk about black salt, and, and in particular, a lot of the attributes that I've seen in researching it, uh, emphasizes on black salt as a means of, of driving out uh, the impurities, spiritual impurities. But here's the thing. I don't know how long it's been a tradition to create black salt with activated charcoal, but I do know this. If you do take a poison... Oftentimes, a recommendation is that you drink activated charcoal, that the charcoal absorbs the toxins and will get removed through your system. So somewhere in time, it goes from people knowing it to turning into lore, to turning into a ritual attribute or a ritual symbol, if you will, uh, to turning into something that is meant to, to purify a space from demons demons being sort of a poison of the mind or a poison of the space. And then we come back to the front end, current day modern society, where we're like, yeah, yeah, activated charcoal is really great for if you take it in, sucking in all of the toxins and, and getting it out of your body or taking out the, the poisons that are in your body, uh, particularly if you've ingested it. Well, I mean, so, even, even without the activated charcoal, salt soaks things in right like sure. it, it, pulls, it pulls water, pulls water in. in yeah and it pulls that out of the air it's what you're doing in the mummification process right you're mm -hmm. you're pulling the moisture out which is what causes the, the putrefication you know of whatever tissue you're you're you know yeah when we're talking bacteria bacteria needs water and bacteria needs a a space where it can grow and a certain level of acidity content and Salt throws that right out the window. It, it makes it just an inhospitable place for bacteria to screw up meat. And part of that is removing water from the surface. And now I'm thinking about James Bond in that first uh, reboot. What was it? Casino Royale where he gets poisoned and he has to drink the stuff. And yeah. Exactly. So you even see it in pop culture. There we go. Me and my movie references uh, this episode. Perfect. <laughs> So another person asked, I thought salt around your home was good for protection. I put salt around my house and everyone in my house freaked out and said that it was bad luck. And two major incidents happened and they are balking it on my salt perimeter. Any chance it's bad luck? Um, I would say absolutely not. I was having this conversation with uh, a friend the other day and um, the... what. I don't think it was you. I think it was someone else. But we were talking about couldn't have been someone else. It was, we were talking about the the use of salt in in the Catholic faith mm -hmm. and putting it in the corners of houses. I think 
that using salt. It was me. It My was... mom did that. Okay, it was you. Who else do I talk to? I don't talk to anyone else. I just talk to you. <laughs> but yeah, again, I think this is one you see across a variety of cultures and traditions. Mm-hmm. I I think, again, it's it's the deliberate nature of how you're placing that salt versus accidentally, you know, dropping it. I use salt in, in my home protections. Um, I think that's one of the really, really standard, you know, uses of salt when we talk about salt in these contexts. Right. Uh, when I saw this, immediately what I thought was that maybe this was confused with dropping salt. Because I don't think everyone knows of salt being used in means of protection or in means of creating sort of a barrier or boundary in your home. But I do think a lot of people know that spilling salt is bad luck. So the idea of going around and spilling salt all throughout your house, uh, I could see how that would be dramatically confused between you know it, the intentional use of it for protection versus the accidental waste of it as being something valuable and thus provoked by some demon of some sort. So I would say because this is intentional, it's absolutely protective. It's a, it's a, an intentional means of using something valuable for a symbolic purpose. And that my guess is just that people reacted poorly because they only knew of the bad luck version of that. I would agree. So someone asked, I've been told to use rock salt with water to purify items. And when they said rock salt, are they talking about salt that's normally used on sidewalks in the winter? <laughs> um, I would say no. Um, I, I believe the, the salt isn't the salt that we use on, on sidewalks in winter. Aren't there a few more additives into that salt, chemically speaking, that um, are, are not particularly good for anyone to have that on their skin or near near them physically? Or on their car. Or on their car. Or on their paint job. Yeah. Underneath their, their metal. Rock salt is is called halite. And it is, uh, it's, it's a larger crystallized version of salt. This really is what it boils down to. And it, it, the cool thing about salt, and, and again, this is where we see the magical properties and traditions leaching into the scientific properties that we love and use today, is that it lowers the freezing point of water. It makes it so that you know, if it's 32 degrees out, the water won't turn to ice where the salt is. Now, it does help if the salt has a little moisture in it, because that kind of helps to spread it out and activate it a little bit more in that regard, uh, which is the reason why we use slurries to spread our rock salt, not just rock salt by itself, not just halite by itself. And you could use halite uh, or, or your wintertime rock salt in your rituals if you wanted. I wouldn't consume it, and the reason why is because they may add additional chemicals, much as you just mentioned, additional additives. And if you do decide to get a big old bag of rock salt, or maybe that's the only salt you have in the house, uh, I would definitely check to make sure that it is is just salt and nothing else. Last year, the, you know, it was one on the really icy days in Manhattan, the, the landlord had gone out and iced the sidewalk. I live on a hill, a very steep hill. And he they, iced it? Or, um, on <laughs> purpose? Salt, <laughs> asshole. Salted it. Salted it. Excuse me. Salted it very heavily, you know, to make sure people didn't fall. And mm-hmm. um, I, I was walking up the hill, and this, this man was walking his very large pit bull, and they got to the sidewalk, and I could see the, the guy stop and look at the salt and look at the dog and look at the salt and just go, no. And he picked up this 120-pound dog 
to carry her across the, the, the salt because it's so bad for your pet's feet, right? And I could just tell he was like, I don't, I don't want that anywhere near her. So I always I have that kind of icky feeling, you know, when mm-hmm. I, we talk about the salt we use to salt our sidewalks in the winter. Because it really, especially for pets, it's, it's pretty bad. You get that powder on your feet. All your yes. shoes end up like in this weird powdered white. Yes. It's like the cars start rusting. Everything has like this white haze to it. Yes. Nothing is pretty. Yeah, no. yeah. It, and it just it, it eats away, right? It just that's that's what I'm imagining is it's eating away. So that makes that question makes me itch a little bit, and not in a good way. And it, it dries the skin. It, it, does. it It's that that is the kind of the point. It pulls water from things, uh, and that's what partially makes it a good thing. Uh, and also, as far as skin though, can really dry you out. Uh, so on that note. Someone had asked, does salt itself hold some sort of cleansing power? I recently got a shampoo from Lush. We're not paid by Lush. And it has a lot of sea salt, like literally small chunks of salt in it. And after using it, I feel lighter, emotionally and physically, like a heavy rain cloud was just lifted off of my body. Does that have to do with the salt, or could it be the scent? Um, I would say that's the salt. I think the salt is a a natural neutralizer, right? And it's Mm -hmm. good for your skin in that sense. If you get online and you look up like home um, beauty remedies for your skin, you find a lot of salt rubs and scrubs to exfoliate and to to cleanse. Um, you know, it kills bacteria. Again, same as you're preserving your jerky, you're also preserving your face. You know, so this is something that salt does, and I think it goes back to that that you know, as we were saying earlier, it's you know, salt you know, as a mundane item does the thing, many of the things that we are aiming for magically as well. But, uh, you know, salt, salt is good stuff when, when used correctly and in moderation and not with other additives thrown in there. Do you have to bless salt and do you have to bless the jar that you put it in? How, how do you bless your salt? I personally don't bless my salt. I suppose, again, this is, it goes back to the conversation we've had many times. You could consecrate your salt if you wanted to. But honestly, even then, like when I'm consecrating a tool or an item, the salt is something that I'm using to consecrate as one of the elements I'm using to consecrate that tool or item. Is that like asking you, what do you use to salt your salt? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. To make it saltier? That's kind of how that feels to me. I don't know. I think, again, salt as a natural element doesn't particularly need that. Um, but but you you do you, you know, <laughs> if you want to bless and or consecrate your salt. Um, you could leave it under the a full period of the moon. Um, I guess you could go that route. Yeah, moon water. You could have moon salt. Yep. Yep. I would say that if I blessed my salt, which I am like you, I don't bless my salt. I consider salt to be an ingredient I bless with. And uh, wherever I get it from or however I use it, I feel like it's coming from a place of of already representing the earth, like already being blessed. But let's say, let's just say that I didn't feel like bringing in that that deep purple Morton salt bottle shaker in with me into circle. Let's say I wanted to set aside salt for a very specific purpose. I think this is when we're talking about how how do I kind of make a mental request that this material is going to be used for something specific. And this is more of a dedication. 
right? A blessing, dedication, let's say. And I might put salt in a very specific container. And I might say, I bless this salt for its use within my ritual purposes and to work towards the ends that I will it. And then I could set that aside, and and that has a very specific intent now in my practice versus what I keep next to the stove. I never mix my kitchen spices with my Mm -hmm. magical spices. There are many spices that I have in my kitchen cupboard that I use for cooking. I do not use those bottles for my magical use. And if for some reason I am out of something and I need something and I go to my kitchen cupboard, that spice then becomes my magical one and I do not use it for cooking. And I do with salt, I I buy salt specifically for ritual and that is not going to be salt that goes into my kitchen in that sense. Okay. I understand that. I get that perspective from, from my side. I like the idea of mixing my kitchen with my magical. I like the idea of, of potentially using my salt, the salt that I would use for ritual to also spice my foods. I might, salt my foods. I might take salt from ritual and use it Mm -hmm. for cooking but I'm not going to grab the salt that I keep by my stove in Ritual. Because the intentions are different. The intentions we, are different. The salt for next to your stove is for cooking. Yes. It, it's for cooking. We're not, we are not blending intentions here. Right. It's not, oh, I ran out of salt here, so I'll go grab the salt shaker from the table that's really meant for everyday cooking. It, it's almost as if its purpose is less special than you need it to be. Right. And so then if I wanted for magical reasons to consume whatever salt or spice I've been using in ritual, then I can take it from ritual and do that. But I'm not generally going to be transporting from the kitchen first, if that makes any sense. No, no, it does. It does. Because at least if you're using the salt from your ritual, you're like, I'm going to take my food up a notch. (laughs) I'm going to integrate a little magical pow to, to my steak seasoning. Bam, and you have pow. and you have intention. You're not just you're not just saying, "Well, I'm missing salt, and I need this to be saltier." So, come here, ritual salt. But it's with the intention of I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little extra to to my food, not just because I need it to salt something. Exactly. Is that what, is that what I'm getting? The intention is magically yes, driven. The the intention is magically driven. Okay, so I've got another question for you, and I saw this one pop up, and I thought this was rather interesting. Uh, there are some people who have it would seem a sensitivity to salt, either because they have pets that will immediately take to it in the carpet, or there is the concern that salt will somehow uh, poison the ground. Well, I mean, you know, we haven't talked about that yet, but um, salt has a, is a lot of, you know, um, history, so, you know, yeah. we're going to go sow the fields with salt, right? Because it does, yeah. it, it blocks growth. And again, in talking about red salt and clay, you know, salt blocks growth. You know, um, the the um, Romans salted the earth at Carthage, right? You know, to to make sure that Carthage was dead on like every level. They slaughtered the people and they salted the fields to make. This is sh- the reason why you can't use ocean water to water your crops. Exactly. In fact, they've been they've been struggling with it. They've recently been able to grow potatoes with salt water. Interesting. If they have found they have developed a strain of potato that will grow with salt water. But keep in mind, this is an exception, like a scientific exception, not the norm. Um, salt is not meant for creating 
life in that sense, right? It's great for maintaining life. It's great for maintaining or preserving. Too much can just block. Exactly. Um, and a lot of people do have salt sensitivities, and it's not good for your pets. Um, it's it's not good for anyone to have too much salt, right? You you go to the doctor, and they'll yell at you about eating too much sodium. You know that's um, especially in in the modern day where we have easy and instant access to salt in a way that you know our ancestors didn't. We consume too much salt on a regular basis. True, and and I think this is the reason why I like the fact that. Uh... And the traditions that I've been raised up through, we didn't just pour salt in a solid line around a circle. Uh, that's the fastest way to screw up your lawn around your circle. But instead was to take a pinch of it and put it into water and to marry the two, that again, marrying the sister elements together uh, to have this sort of this sort of blessing that you could then take and that you could use your fingers to sprinkle throughout the circle. That's not going to be too much. And there's naturally salt in the ground anyhow. And there's a certain up to a certain amount that you can put into the ground and it won't harm anything. But the sprinkling of salt water around the circle, I've never perceived as being bad. And then like, I don't, it's so, it's so diluted that it's just not going to make a difference. I have. Have you ever had ritual on a really nice rug? I don't want to sprinkle salt water on a really nice rug. I've had that uh, instance happen. And when that has been a... Did you a, use a lot of salt? Um, no, but just in, like I, I, I spent a lot of money on my rugs. I'm not dropping salt water on my rugs. You know, in that scenario, we'll mix the salt and water and carry the salt and water dish around. And I'm not sprinkling it on my rug. So... Wow. <laughs> But but you'll sprinkle regular salt on your rugs. No, I won't. No, I won't. Oh oh oh! I thought you said that you had in order to do the, I, use I, the vacuum or the broom to sweep it out. I am very lucky in that I have wood floors, and if I'm going to do this exercise, I take my rugs up. Which my rugs, you know, I I live in an apartment in Manhattan. Um, most leases in Manhattan require that eighty percent of your floors be covered in rugs. I have to move furniture to get my rugs up. Um, they are very large area rugs. And uh, if I'm going to do this, it's it's a very big physical exercise on my part because I don't want to throw salt on my rugs. Yeah, if that, just smudge. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too much for me. I don't even want You, just, you were like, I got to move furniture. No, I'm out. <laughs> uh, it's um, just not going to happen for me. So as, as a, be at home or let's even say even in a circle. Uh, what would be a good replacement for salt? Well, you could, in that sense. I have a lot of issues with smudging mm -hmm. um, for multiple reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into. Um, maybe uh, a good replacement. So at the same, at least in, in my rituals, the, the same moment you're mix, mixing salt and water, you're also lighting the incense. Um, and we sense in a spurge with both salt and water and then with the incense as well. So maybe you could do it with the incense. But I mean, like I said, in my case, what we did is instead of sprinkling the water, we just carried the salt and water around the circle. Mm -hmm. It's not like the, the salt and water being in the bowl is, is, you know, it's still there in ritual with you, right? It's mm -hmm. whether it's on the ground or in the bowl on the altar or, you know, on, on your forehead, if you're blessing people, it's, it's still there. You still mix salt and water and walked the circle with it. One of the interesting things that I'd, I'd read that people use as a means of replacement, at least as far as protection and symbolism was eggshells. Interesting. And I, I had, seen a couple of replies of people who who added eggshell to their walls when they were building a home 
uh, or that they would use eggshell uh, ground up or powdered in place of salt as a means of sort of sprinkling around the circle. Well, there's that the the old saying, you know, walking on eggshells, right? And then there's also the the story, you, you know, how you can uh, prove that you have a changeling child, right? No. You boil water in an eggshell in front of the changeling, and the changeling will sit up and say, well, I've never seen that before, and disappear. Um, so there's a what? lot. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, sort of fairy folklore around eggshells in that sense. That's weird. All right, I've never heard of that before, but that's super cool. Um, I, I think it's the idea, I, if, if I had to guess, because there wasn't a lot of depth in what I found, I, I think it would be that, first and foremost, eggshell is meant to protect, surround and protect in a, in a kind of spherical way, uh, a life, a growing life. Except it's been ground up and crushed. <laughs> and that's where I was going to go, which is you're using something that was meant to protect something that's been utterly devastated. Utterly destroyed. And utterly purpose. destroyed. Um, and that's sometimes where I, I have issues. I'm glad this. I'm not the only one that felt that way. I was going to feel like a real ass for bringing that up, but I'm so glad that you're the one taking the brunt of that. <laughs> no, um, I would feel very uncomfortable doing that. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess one could say that because it is, it is calcium based because it did its intention, let's say was to protect life, uh, that it can be consumed if you powder it and it won't hurt you. And being that it is calcium, it is, you know, comes from the consumption of calcium in the ground by the bird and then, you know, consumed and then formed. It's basically, you know, it's the bird diverting what it would use for its strong bones to this encasing. Granted, I don't like the idea of it being crushed because, again, the symbolism of the circle being just utterly devastated. But an eggshell, given what it is, is really strong. I mean, we can overcome it, sure, but it's really strong. Like an ostrich eggs, it, it's very difficult to get through an ostrich egg. But the fact that it's so thin, and, and you know, when we're talking about like chicken eggs, it's pretty strong for what material it uses. No, that's true. I'll give you that's, that. That's me defending it as most I can. Well, if I really had to, <laughs> I I would not choose to go down that route. <laughs> it's just not a good enough. It's just not a strong enough symbol for you. No, I totally get that. And I wouldn't either. But I can see why, if somebody had a sensitivity to salt, why that might be a second best option. All right. Uh, I think we've kind of rounded this episode on salt. We have talked a lot about salt today. I want to just hit on phrases that have the word salt in it. Salt of the earth. What does that mean? I believe this one comes out of Christian mythology where um, Jesus is on the mount having his, his famous sermon. And he says that, um, his people are the salt of the earth. I, I kind of wonder if it's kind of like, you know, like you are you are of high value to me. You you are like you are like you are like value drawn from the ground. Well, and I, of, I think something of worth. I think that's what how we kind of have to view it. And then, of course, you have worth your salt, which um, has a very unpleasant history to it, you know, because slaves could be bought for salt instead of money. So mm -hmm. if you're worth your salt, you know, it's the, the amount of labor that whoever has bought you is going to get out of you. So that's kind of an ugly one as well. It, it is kind of goofy. It's kind of like saying, let's see if you live up to your value in salt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's a very ugly thing in that context. 
I don't think that they quite understand the historical place that that's coming from and that that's not necessarily something you, you ought to say to someone today. So take with a grain of salt or take with a pinch of salt. I think it's, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's, it's, I've heard it used. I've heard both of them used. Yeah. I think, well, you could also go with that one, the, the amount of flavor or worth that you're going to get out of it, right? Um, it could go either way. I, I kind of like the idea of flavor there. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know necessarily where the phrase comes from. It could be taken as to say a bit of flavor has been added yes. to what you've been told. Yes. And potentially uh, more flavor than really exists. Uh, Attic salt. Have you heard this phrase? No, I don't. I don't know this this one. If I was to say, hmm, you got a good bit of attic salt on you. No, I, do. I have not heard that one. It it means it's a it means that you have a, a declared and pointed wit. It means that you've got flavor upstairs. Ah. Uh, no, that's that's straight up a compliment. Someone saying you're witty. That's that's a nice thing to say. Yeah, it is. It is a nice thing to say. I feel like no one would say that to me ever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm I'm not that fast sometimes. Old salt. I've heard that one. I feel like, well, I feel like there are a couple connotations there, like old salt. It's absorbed a lot, right? It has a lot to give. Um, not always, but it's usually really strong, right? In that sense, that might not be to everyone's taste. And then I also think of it in the like sailing context, like an old. Right, he's an old, old salt. salt. Exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of. Be, he's, he's been at sea. Yeah. He's probably he... a little crusty with salt. Maybe a little more forthright in how he addresses people. Maybe a little more, I don't want to say brutal, colorful, flavorful in how they, they address without too much concern to, to overpowering people with flaviness. That sounds about right. But uh, with that said, I appreciate the community for providing their questions. And there were a lot of really good comments and questions in regards to salt here. So that was super helpful. This is Reverend Wade. And this is Librarian and Witch Cassandra. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>